I thought I would let that play for the full song because that was, came from an era where most of the songs were only two minutes long, anyhow. And the other reason is because, unlike last week, we probably won't be doing the school chant this week. Um, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, you weren't here last week. And if you miss a week, you miss a lot. So you don't want to do that. Um, it wouldn't be the same this week if we did that. So um, I, I know a lot of people had black over their jerseys and stuff, so we, just, we won't go there. Um, interesting, though, that song. Um, as I was looking at it, watching it both services, I'm watching it, and it's like it's not the most super quality video, but it's okay. And, I, and, and I'm thinking, that video is actually older than most of the people in this room. <laughs> and that thought led to a very depressing thought. I remember <laughs> that, that, that. But what, what's interesting is, I said the, most of the songs were only a couple minutes long back then, like two and a half minutes or something. And one of the reasons is because there wasn't a lot of lyrics. And many times it was just like the same thing over and over. And we hear that song and we think, oh yeah, we can work it out. And we think about, you know, coming together. And we think about, you know, get... I don't know if you ever really paid attention to the words of that song. Because literally what that song says is, if you would just stop arguing with me, we could work it out, which means my way is the right way. And if you would quit talking about your way, we could work it out. That's really not the best way to peace. But we are going to talk about working things out because we're going to talk today about peace. We're in, if you've never been to this church before, you are probably wondering what in the world is going on. That the set looks like an album cover for the Beatles, and we're listening to their song. Here's what we're doing, if you're new with us. Um, everybody makes, not everybody, most people make New Year's resolutions, whether they do it, you know, you know permanently on Facebook. And you need to, just a reminder, if it's on Facebook, it's permanent. Even if you don't want it to be, it's permanent. Just a reminder, that's a public service announcement. Or maybe you just thought, you know, I need some change in my life, and you make a resolution, and I realize today is the 28th of January, most of those resolutions have already fallen by the wayside. What we need is change in our life, but maybe or maybe not, it's going to come from a resolution. But you say you want a revolution. We think that's what's needed in order to have real life change is a revolution in our lives. And so we're looking at some of the big things that it talks about in the book of Ephesians. And we're going through that. This is our fourth week. We're going to talk about peace. If you've missed the other ones, go to iloveourchurch.com. And I think it's still the first post up there. It tells you all the different ways you can listen to it. The past sermons and the, and there, the, there probably even some CDs in the back, but we're going to talk about uh, peace today because that's the big theme of the section we're going through and I don't know what you think about when you think about peace, but whenever anybody says peace, one thing comes to my mind. Peace. Peace, man. You might have the peace sign or whatever. But we all think of different things when we think of peace. So uh, not out loud, but uh, think about what peace means to you. Because I heard a lot of different things this week, like the absence of hostility. Maybe there's something going on, and maybe it's in your life. Maybe it's big picture. Maybe you're thinking, oh, we have these two, these two groups fighting, and they lay down their arms, and they have a ceasefire, and that's what peace means. Maybe just the absence of conflict, and not so much on a world scale, but just you know, in your life kind of scale. Maybe for some of you, it takes a little bit different turn, and things are not going well in your marriage, but you're going to keep in the marriage, remain in the marriage for the kids, and you're going to do what you can to have peace in that. And that's what you think about when you think about maybe you have one of those. We all have one 
um, in our life that, for lack of a better term, we may, in a weaker moment, say that person's a jerk. And for us, peace might be, for you, not me, <laughs> for us, peace might be, when I go into the room, I'm not making eye contact with that person. Because every time I do, it doesn't end well. And so in order to keep the peace or make the peace, I'm not going to do that. So you could think of a whole bunch of different things when we talk about peace. And, and actually, maybe kind of, there's a little bit of truth in all those things, but that's not the kind of peace that I want to talk about today. I want to talk about a far deeper peace today. I want to talk about the peace of God. And here's what you need to understand. We can have the peace of God regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's going on in our life, only when we have peace with God. You can only have the peace of God when we have peace with God. I can have the peace of God in all my relationships. I can have it in, in all of the situations in my life when I have peace with God. Because the truth is, there's, there's a war going on in our lives. And many people would think I'm talking about, yeah, you can't always see it or hear it, but there's a war going on. I get that. And it's the enemy. It's Satan. It's like, yeah, that's a war, but that's not the one I'm talking about. I'm talking about the war that goes on in our life between us and the creator of the universe. And how before Christ, if you don't know Jesus, that's the position you're in. Now all of us were in that position at one time and we did not have peace with God. The Bible talks about the fact that it is his mission to make peace peace possible from beginning to end in the Bible. So a couple questions. Don't answer this out loud. First one is this. Are you at peace with God? And as you think about that, you might be thinking about relationships. You might be thinking about decisions you make or have made or, or are going to make. And it's like, yeah, I know that God's not really happy with that, but I need to do that or I want to do that. And you would say that I really don't have peace with God at this moment. Maybe you've never even met him. You just know about church and rules and religion, and you would definitely say, yeah, I'm not at peace with God. I am not there. The second question is this, regardless of how you answer the first question. I want you to think about the relationships in your life. We all have different relationships, many connections in our life. Do you have any hostility? Do you have any hate? Even just bad vibes in that relationship that could lead back to your inability to establish peace in that relationship. Because we really are looking for peace. We really do want that. And we need to understand peace is not passive. It's not soft. It's, like, it's not like if I don't do anything, there will just be peace. And that's not the way peace works. Peace is active, okay? When, you, when we want peace, we have to do something. So we're going to see what Paul has to say about it in the letter that we've been looking at. He wrote this letter to the local church in Ephesus. And it was a circular letter. It was designed, uh, written for that church, but for all the other local churches around there. And they, they passed it around. It was called a circular letter. So they got it, and they would give it to another church, and that church would read it. And it has been doing that literally for 2,000 years. And now we have that same letter, and it's just as much to us as it was to them, and it's about peace. So last week, we concluded with verse 10 in chapter 2, and we're going to jump into verse 11 now as we talk about peace. And here's what it says. Therefore, and remember, whenever you see therefore, you go back and see what it's there for. And we're going to do that because you can go back and listen to last week's sermon and understand that. So therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised 
by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. And I'm going to stop there because I'm, I'm seeing it on your faces. There's a number of you who are thinking, okay, hold it. I thought we were talking about peace. What's this circumcision thing? <laughs> so I understand that, that not all of you understand completely. And so just to make sure that we're all on the same page, I have some pictures and diagrams on the next slide. So could you put that up? Just next slide. I just wanted to see your faces. <laughs> when I was in youth ministry, um, I, I used to make devotional booklets for the kids for summer stuff and for different things that we did, trips we took or whatever. And the devotional book I made, I'd make it and you know, staple it together, a real professional little thing. And it would have Bible verses in it and have questions. So they would read the verses, they would answer questions and just dig a little deeper. And we were in this passage or a passage like it that dealt with that. And I'm writing this for like junior high kids, you know. And so I put on the page, I said, so if you don't understand what that is, on the next page, there'll be some explanation and pictures. You have never seen pages turn so fast <laughs> in your whole life. <laughs> and they're looking like, what, what? And there was no pictures there, okay? There was nothing. Here's what it did say. It said, are you kidding? Do you think I would put this here? Go ask your parents. <laughs> so if you don't understand what I'm talking about, go ask your parents, all right? We'll, we'll leave it that way. But circumcision actually is a part of this, and we're not going to get into it in detail or anything today, but... Um, I, I continue to hear this story that, that I was talking to Mike about it. He told me about this guy. They were having that conversation, and the guy says, I, I had circumcision, and I couldn't walk for a year. And everybody's like, oh. No. He said, yeah, I was only two weeks old when I had it. But, you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> and the chuckles you hear for the next few moments are people getting it <laughs> as, as we move on. Um, but that's a part of it, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. It, uh, we don't need to understand fully everything, but, but it's, it's a piece of it. So anyhow, have you ever thought about in the Bible, because it's, it's such a huge theme in the Bible, peace, it's about peace with God, so that we can have the peace of God. How does the Bible unfold peace? Because it, it starts at the very beginning and goes all the way through. So here's what happens. In Genesis 1 through 11, this is like, this is going to be thousands of years of history, millennium of history in minutes, all right? Genesis 1 through 11, you, you start off with Adam and Eve in a perfect environment. They have peace with God. There is no problems. Everything's good. The relationship with him is good. He comes and walks with them in the garden. Everything's cool until, I mean, we don't even get a couple chapters in before God has said, here's what you should do. And if you do this, everything will be good. And so they choose what's behind door number two, like all of us do. And they suffer the consequences of that, and they sin. Sin is disobeying God. Whatever he's asked you to do, if you don't do it, that's sin. Whatever God's word says to do, if we, if we don't do it, it's sin. If it says not to do it, and we do it, that's sin. And here's the thing about sin. It started way back in the garden, and it continues through today, and it's the same every single time. Sin always separates it always separates. It separates us from God. It separates us from other people in our lives who we may not even think are involved in the situation. But sin always creates this separation. And when we sin, a wall is built between us and God. That's, that's what the Bible says. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, it says this, Your iniquities, that's a fancy word for sin, have separated you from your God. So this is people who knew God, had a relationship with God. The sin separated them from God. It built that wall. 
As we move through those first 11 chapters of Genesis, we have people, it's like, it's like this, this vicious circle of sin and it keeps getting worse and worse because that's sin has a way of doing that. And it gets to the point where God says, okay, enough is enough. We'll start over. And he starts over. There's a flood. Everybody but Noah and his family dies. And you'd think, now finally we can get things moving on the right track. And almost immediately, that, that spin cycle of sin continues, starts up again and continues. And in Genesis 1 through 11, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but Genesis 1 through 11 is dealing with Gentiles because there were no such thing as Jews yet. It was about Gentiles. God begins in chapter 12 this amazing covenant relationship with Abraham and his offspring and the Messiah and the salvation are going to come through this people, the Jews. And, and that's what he does for the rest of the Old Testament. You have these rules and these rituals and this religion and the outward sign of that covenant relationship was circumcision. They were supposed to, and this, I, I, I read this line and it just it freaks me out a little bit. They were supposed to show the world that there was a difference. Now, I don't know about you, but my thinking is, okay, I understand that circumcision is an outward sign and it shows that. Does everybody like, see that? I mean, <laughs> how does that, anyone know? Do you have to ask? It's just a freaky thing to me, okay? But for them, it was this outward sign. And you would think of everything they'd experienced that they would have got, that they could look back and they could see how gracious and how forgiving God was. The amazing mercy that he showed them as a people. And here's the thing. The nation Israel was pretty good nationally and pretty good ritually, not so much morally. There was very little difference between them and everybody else morally. So what did God do? God sent Jesus to live this perfect, sinless life in order to fulfill the law that none of them could keep and to die to pay the price for the sins of the world the sins that separated man from God, to bridge that gap. And what he did was the work of peace, because what Jesus did was not passive, and it was not soft. It was difficult. It cost him everything. It was, it's, that's because that's what peace costs. And it was the work of peace, and he made peace, giving us the opportunity to respond to that peace, to receive that peace, and to have peace with God. So having and experiencing that peace with God, it can then spill out and carry over into the other relationships in our lives, and we can experience in those relationships peace. And we can be peacemakers because of that. So peace with God can give us the peace of God in our lives and in our relationships. That's kind of the story of God's peace mission in a nutshell. So just those first 11 chapters of Genesis, that's basically the Gentiles. And then from chapter 12 all the way to when we get into the New Testament then, it's about the Jewish nation. And it's about Jesus, a Jew, bringing salvation. Because from Genesis 12 on, that's what God was saying. It's going to come through this nation. And it tells us that in John 4.22, that clearly salvation is from the Jews. That's where it came through. That was the plan for those thousands of years. And so when this happens, you would think that the Jews would be all about grace and mercy at this time when Paul wrote this letter. God had stuck with them 
and fulfilled his promises even though they screwed up so many times. I don't know if I said this. I forgot first service, too, for some reason. In your worship folder, there is an outline with the verses, and if you want to follow along, sometimes God has some things that aren't on the outline to say to you, and it's good to be able to write those down. So if you're taking notes, um, that's what you can do it on. So we would think the Jews would be all about grace and mercy. They would get it because God had stuck with them and fulfilled his promises, even though they screwed up so many times. Nope. You talk about racism. You talk about haters. You talk about looking down your nose at someone else. Here they were, this carrier of this amazing covenant of promise. They certainly wouldn't look down on someone who needed what they had, would they? And yet, there was still this wall. There was still this war going on. And it's mind-blowing. Paul wrote this letter 2,000 years ago. And all you got to do is look at the news and see what's happening in the world today. You read what's happening in the Middle East, and the fighting that Paul is talking about is still going on today between the same groups. We've put our best minds on this, and it never changes. People have been trying to solve this problem for literally millennia. And there is still a war. There is still a problem. There is still no peace. There are still people harboring these hurts. So what we do have in Ephesians is this. We have Paul, who is a Jew, a very decorated Jew, starting a church of non-Jews in Ephesus, not a Jewish city. Then you have Jesus being a Jew, dying and rising again. And you have people running around thinking, see, it's still all about the Jews. Christianity is a Jewish thing. And for you non-Jews to become Christians, you're going to have to basically become a Jew by taking on the rules and the rituals and the religion and the marks <laughs> ouch, of being a Jew. And, and so you've got Paul, who is this Jew of all Jews, whose life was revolutionized by Jesus, leading Gentiles to faith and starting churches among the Gentiles. What we have, and I'm sure Paul, even then, was even humming this Beatles song. That is the long and winding road <laughs> that leads to peace. Because it was not a straight shot for thousands of years. It was this long and winding road to lead them home, to lead them to peace. So what are we talking about today in today's message? Peace. You're still with me. That's good. I want to show you four things about peace from this passage. And um, these four things, are, you can take notes there in your notes. Um, they, they kind of give us a progression of what happens. And um, the first one, very simple, sounds weird, but it's the peace ban. It's a peace ban. Because they were saying, no, there was no peace. They weren't going to have it. Paul's going to show them what they were and where they stood before they experienced peace with God. Paul had reminded them in verse 11 that we read that uh, they had been on the outs with the Jews. There was no peace. And he's going to now remind them of what that really meant, where they came from, what the difference was. So verse 11 again. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised. And the reason that's in quotes is because that's, that's literally what they called them. That was the name. They didn't say you Gentiles. They said you uncircumcised. You know, we are the circumcision. 
Which just, that's just a weird thing for everybody to be bragging about, but that's, that's what it was. Because it dated back thousands of years to we are the people of the covenant, you know? And Paul just says, you know, this is just something done in the body by human hands, but that's where they were at. So he's talking to Gentiles here, which are non-Jews, about how they were looked down on by the Jews. And then he says in verse 12, remember, remember that at that time you were, and what's the next word? Separate. Some of them, some of the Jews looked at that as a good thing. When you're the one who is separate, you don't always look at that as a good thing. Not when you want to be on the inside. He said, remember, at that time you were separate from Christ. Remember we said earlier, what does sin always do? It separates. Always. It alienates. There's a wall. And that's not just between us and God. That affects all of our relationships. He said, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Excluded. Another word that you don't want to hear if you want to be a part of things. Excluded from citizenship in Israel. You talk about haters. That's what they were. That's what the the, the nation Israel was then. So they were separate. They were excluded. And foreigners to the covenant. Covenants of the promise. Without hope. And without God in the world. In fact, if I could describe what the Gentiles were before they came to Jesus, it would be pretty much the same description as any of us before we came to Jesus. And you can do it in one word. Without. Just without. Without Christ. You're without the citizenship. You're without this covenant of the promise. You're without hope. You're without God. I like to just say homeless, hopeless, and helpless. That's what it is without So, who in the world were the Jews to look down their noses at the Gentiles who were far away from God? And before you get too snooty, I'll ask you the question, who in the world are you and I to look down our noses at people in this world who are far from God? Who are we to do that? Here's the truth that you need to understand. The ground is level. At the foot of the cross. There's not, yeah, I'm a little better, you're a little worse. We're all sinners at the foot of the cross. The truth is, you have never locked eyes with anyone who Jesus didn't die for. To love enough to die for them. Because sin is sin. And forgiveness is forgiveness. I mentioned last week, a lot of Christians like grace, amazing grace, when it applies to them, but not when it applies to someone else. Because we still sometimes have this, I'm a little bit better than you attitude. You see, everyone around you in your sphere of influence without Christ is one prayer away, one decision away from discovering the peace of God. It doesn't matter how far they've fallen. It doesn't matter what they're experiencing. They're only one decision away from really experiencing peace with God and being able to have a real life. So those of us who are Christians and we have peace with God through a relationship with Jesus, we should, I'm not saying you shouldn't stand for what you believe. We should stand for what we believe. We should speak the truth in love. We need to do that as Christians. 
but also we need to welcome everyone in. We say that all the time here. We will accept everyone. Doesn't mean we approve of what everyone does. Because Jesus will accept everyone, even though he doesn't approve of what everyone does. And he will not leave them in that condition. But he welcomes you to come as you are. And we need to welcome people in. We should never turn into what those Jews had become at that point, looking down on other people. Even people they didn't know. It's like, oh, you're just a Gentile. You're one of those uncircumcised. We should never turn into that. That, that whole attitude of, well, but I got it now. You don't. Too bad. We don't say those words, but that's what our actions do. Literally, here's what we do when we don't welcome and accept people who need Jesus. We're telling them to go to hell. Because we have the answer. We have peace with God. And they can too. And we should never think that we're here and they're here. God doesn't look at sin that way. Sin separates (laughs) We always look at our sins as not as bad as somebody else's. Because I know yours are way worse than mine. That's, that's how we think. And the truth is, sin separates. You realize the sin in the Garden of Eden was disobeying God. Whether it was, you know, it doesn't say apple, we just say apple. It was a fruit of some kind. The point was not the fruit. The point was the disobedience. And that wrecked the world. Sin is sin. So the first thing is the peace ban. And that's bad when, when that hostility is there and we're not accepting. That's the peace ban. That's bad. The next one is a good one. And if I ask you what it is, you'd probably have the right answer. The next one is the peace man. Peace ban and the peace man. These are going to rhyme. Okay? Deal with it. If you like it, it's pretty cool. If you don't, I didn't come up with it. Somebody else did. Blame them. If I said, who's the peace man, you'd probably get the answer right because you're in church. And in church, usually the correct answer is Jesus. In this case, it is the correct answer. Who is the peace man? Jesus, the prince of peace. He did something. God did something. And here's what he did. In Ephesians 2, starting in verse 13. But, that's a big but. And if you weren't here last week, you have no idea why people are laughing. Here's the thing. If you miss a week, you miss a lot. So don't miss a week, all right? So, but now in Christ Jesus, and that's key, that's the answer, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, remember, sin separates. It doesn't matter what sin it is, it separates. You who were once far away have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. Because, remember, sin must have a payment. The wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. That's what it says in the Bible. There had to be a payment. And verse 14 clarifies that. And I absolutely love what it says at the beginning of verse 14. Talking about Jesus, talking about being brought near by the blood of Jesus. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. It's a person. He is our peace. And we're talking about peace. If you want to know what the biblical definition of peace is, here it is. He himself is our peace who has made the two groups into one. That's the definition of peace. Oneness. The word peace is is a reine. 
It means to join. It means to, to tie something together into a whole. It's about wholeness, re- restoring the wholeness. It's about oneness. That's what peace is. If you want peace, what you'll experience is that wholeness. So that thing that's been missing won't be missing anymore. That's how we can experience the peace of God. He said, he himself is our peace who has made two groups into one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So what is that about? What's the barrier? What's the dividing wall? It's, it's literally, it's the division. It's the prejudice. It's the, the friction, the hostility between people at that time, between the Jew and the Gentile, between the high caste of society and the low caste, between the rich and the poor, between different races, between different nations. That's what Jesus destroyed when he went to the cross. In this verse, as we said, Paul is thinking mainly of the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles because the Jews considered themselves superior to the Gentiles. The Jews didn't even associate with the Gentiles because in their sight, the Gentiles were like, unclean, you know, stay, stay away. And that barrier and that dividing wall of hostility was destroyed by Jesus because he himself is our peace. So the peace ban and the peace man, Jesus, he obliterated that wall of sin, the wall of separation, the wall of racism, the wall of hostility, and he took it down. The next verse tells us how he did that. Verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh, that's because the cost for peace was his life. He laid down his life, his body for us. He set aside his flesh, in his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. That's what he did. To destroy that, to because of what he did on the cross for us, to bring in himself, create in himself one new thing. So there wouldn't be all of these separate things like that anymore because Jesus is the answer to the peace ban as the peace man. He is the answer. And then there's number three, the peace span. I told you they'd all rhyme. What does that mean? It means the, the, the breadth of it, the span of what actually happened here. In verse 16, it says this. He did that, verse 15, he did all those things. And in one body to reconcile, the word reconcile means bring together again. You know, come together right now. That's come together. As believers, we have that. And we have that as our calling as believers. We are, it says in in 2 Corinthians 5.18, we're supposed to be ministers of reconciliation. Our job, the reason Jesus leaves us here after we're saved, is to do the work of reconciliation and to bring people together, bringing them together into one. That means I should work at it. Remember, peace is not passive. I work at peace and reconciliation. And you might say, well, yeah, in my situation, no, they don't respect me. It's not going to work in my situation. Here's the thing you need to understand. The Bible doesn't say you are responsible to make the peace, and if you don't, you failed. Here's what it says. Uh, I won't read it. It's not up on the screen, but Romans 12, 18 says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace. You can't control, and you are not responsible for someone else's reaction. 
only for your action. So you do your thing and let God take care of the rest because you do it as far as it depends on you. Peace is active. We have to do it as far as it depends on us. So we have to work through it. We talked about this a number of times here. Many things that we see out here, I really want this. I really want this in my Christian life. And we want to get to it. And the truth is to get to it, most of the time you have to go through it. We can't come like this and miss all this stuff and have what we want. We have to go through it. And it's the same thing with peace. So it says, in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. That's the answer, is what Jesus did on the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jews. They were closer to it, but they still didn't have it. Verse 18, for through him, that's Jesus, we both, and I will even add, we all. Because for us, it's not just about Jews and Gentiles anymore. We have a whole bunch of things going on in our life that that have a barrier, that have a dividing wall that need broken down. He said, for through Jesus, we all have access to the Father by one spirit. That means it doesn't matter what... um, town you're from, it doesn't matter what country, what state, what nation, it doesn't matter what color you are, it doesn't matter what your background is, it doesn't matter what's happened, we all come to God the same way, by grace through faith in Jesus, by one spirit, because all of that other stuff was just broken down, and all of this happens through the cross. I talked about this last week, and I just want to give you something, I'm a visual person. And I make my charts and diagrams on things. You never see those, but I always do that because it helps me think through things. And something that's helped me think through, I kind of mentioned last week, and that's when you look at the cross. We know what shape the cross is. But as people who have a relationship by grace through faith in Jesus, um, the cross is a big deal. So I'm just, I know that some of you have a little glare on this, but you'll, you'll still see what is very simple. I'm not, gonna, not huge artwork or anything today. But here's, here's what we're looking for. What we want is peace. We want peace. We need peace. In order to experience the peace of God, we have to have peace with God. So as we discussed in the first few weeks, we're not the ones who initiated that. God did. He loved us so much that he did the work that was necessary for us to be able to have peace. We are saved by grace, but we are saved by grace through faith. And I have to respond to that. I have to respond to what God did in order to have that peace with God. But it never was designed to stop there. Too many Christians and too many churches stop there. I got it. I'm in. I'm good. Too bad about you. That's never what it was designed to be because whenever this happens, this happens as well. And we see the shape of the cross because we not only have a vertical aspect of it, God made it possible for me to respond to him, to have peace with God so I could experience the peace of God. That will always spill over from that vertical relationship into my horizontal relationships. And that is where the work comes in because of what he did for me, because of how I responded to him and the relationship with what I have. When I see the cross, I always see what he did. I always see how I responded, but I see how that needs to play out in the other people that are in my sphere of influence. And they may be people that I like that are people just like me. And they may be people that don't like me 
or there may be people that are totally different from me, but they're in my sphere of influence. And I can show them what it is to have peace with God because of all he's done for us. We should be rushing to Jesus. And then we should be rushing to reconciliation and peace in all of our relationships. So we have this peace ban that they were trying to keep others out of it. We have the peace man, and then we have the peace span in what it actually covered and what he did and made it available for everybody. And finally, we have the peace plan. What's the plan? We've heard it's about the spirit of reconciliation. You know, it's about making peace. We've heard the peace of God we get by having peace with God. We heard about walking in peace. We heard that it's an active thing, not a soft, passive thing. It's about forgiveness. It is about all of that, but I want to help you put some handles on it so you can grasp it and grab it and get a hold of it better. That's what Paul did for them so they could, they could relate it to their situation and see. He's told them what it was like before. We were in the same boat as them before, that same boat of separation. You know, helpless, homeless, hopeless. We, we were in that same situation. And he says in verse 19 now, consequently, because of all that Jesus did, because of the cross, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You are now fellow citizens. They wanted that citizenship, and the only way to get it was through Jesus. You're fellow citizens with God's people. Members of his household. The membership, the citizenship, the things they were craving for were all there because of Jesus. And he said, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the New Testament, the Old Testament, everything that God did worked toward this one thing, excuse me, this one thing. He said, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone, you get what he's talking about here? You know he's talking about the church. He's not talking about a building. He's not talking about Jews or Gentiles. He's talking about the church. And he said, in him, that's Jesus, the whole building, and he's not physical building, the church is people. The whole building is joined together. No more dividing wall. Rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you two are being built together, joined together. Built together, come together. Right it's all about that to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Joined together, built together. Christianity, it's not about, church is not a building. We say that here all the time. I tell you, not a week goes by that somebody from another church or somebody from the community comes up to me in Walmart. And, and it happens every week because I'm there four times a day. But I, I, they come up to me and they talk about our 32 acres or whatever we have on the north end of town and say, that is the most beautiful property. When are you going to build a church? And I, lo I love answering that. We are. We are building. Really? Really? I, I say, yeah, we've been building for 10 years. I like, well, really don't see anything out there. Said, because the church is people and we're building people before we build a building. Because that's what the church is. It's people. The church, you need to understand, as we come up to the Olympics shortly here, the church is not a solo sport. Christianity is not a solo sport, I mean. It's a team sport. It was never meant to be done alone. There's like 40 or 50 places in the New Testament where it uses the phrase one another. 
care for one another, love one another, you know, take care of one another. Use all these different things. Guess what? You can't do that alone. It takes another for there to be a one another. And that means we have to disobey like 40 or 50 commands in the Bible if we're not part of the church. It says you can only do that through the church. You can only accomplish what he wants us to accomplish through the church. It's through the church. If you haven't heard that recently, it's through the church. Do you understand the church is not a building? The church is people on a mission. This, this might offend some of you, but you know how much I care about that. There's, um, there are some people who will come to church, and when they leave, they, they, it's not a physical thing where they actually have a list in their car, but they have a list in their head. Been to church. Check. Done. That's not what the church is. The church is not something you go to on Sunday. The church is that citizenship, that membership. It's something that we are a part of. It's people on a mission. The church literally means called out assembly of people. Called out from all the different walks of life and places they are to accomplish a mission. That's literally what the word means. And here's, this is important. Church is planning. Church is God's plan A for reaching the world. There is no plan B. There is no plan B. It's the church. Now, I know that there's a lot of people here who have bad experiences with churches because you've been burned by a church. Been there, done that. That's not the church's fault. That's broken people's fault. The church is plan A. And there is no plan B. It's people on a mission. I don't know if you're aware of this. Journey in our church is doing something incredibly unique in, in our community. In reaching people who need Jesus. And you think, isn't that the mission of the church? Yeah, but that's not the case when you go to most churches. I, am so, I, I get so excited when I see what God is doing, not just in the world, but in our country. How many of you use the YouVersion Bible on your phone? Many of you here. The church that did that, Life Church, they do that for free. They have like a billion copies out there or something. They could have made millions and millions and millions of dollars, and they do it free. We've used many of the resources here. In the, uh, this is just an example of one area that God is working. Last Sunday, last weekend, they have multiple services, multiple locations. Last weekend at Life Church. 2,300 people made decisions for Jesus. Is that not mind-blowing? That's almost the population of Pine City. But you know what? It's no less mind-blowing what God is doing in Journey North Church. Seeing the lives changed because it's about church. It's not about Sunday service. It's about church. People on a mission together. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said... I will build my church. That's what he's doing. That's plan A, and that's the only plan there is, and he's doing it. We are part, if you're a follower of Jesus, a believer, we are part of the body of Christ. Universally. That's, I call that the big C church. All over the world. But we also need to be a part 
of a local body of Christ, a local church. Because that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the things happen. If you're not a member, this is important. If you're not a member, if you're not active in a local church, there is no way to truly and deeply discover what God has for your life, what God has for your marriage, what God has for your dating relationships, what God has for your ministry. There's no way, it's, it's not going to be in the cards. It's not going to happen because that's God's plan. You can have an okay life. You can even have a good life, but not the ultimate life. Not the life that he wants to call you to. That only happens through the church. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you belong in a local church. I have a lot of people come to me on a regular basis. I don't like church. I got burned by church, so I, I worship in the woods. God, I experience God in the woods. So do I. But that's not plan A. By the way, I've never heard one of those people say, I went to a football game one time, and I didn't like what happened. The person offended me next to me, so I'm never going again. I've never seen that happen. <laughs> but it happens with church for some reason. If you are a believer, you need to be part of a church. And here's why. Because you are a vital part of the body. You can do something nobody else can do. You fill a role. Every single believer is important. Every single believer is crucial. You matter. You are unique and needed. We say here, everyone's welcome. But you're also wanted. You're also needed. Because it's when all of us do the thing that God has given us to do together, that's when it really works. So let me ask you this. Do you want to be... It's a rhetorical question. Maybe I should say, say, do you feel like you are separate, excluded, far away, homeless, helpless, hopeless? Is that where you want to be? Or do you want to be brought back together, reconciled, a citizen, a member with a home, with help, with hope? Because that's what God wants for you. That's what happens when we experience with God. We get the peace of God. It happens one way. We've said this, we'll say this every time until Jesus comes back. It only happens one way. And I'm going to teach you a way to remember that and share it with somebody else the way I, I learned this as a kid. Okay? One way that you can have that. Everybody do this. Even you people who are too cool. Do this. Okay, not that finger. First, first one right here. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how this happens. One way to peace by the power of the cross. One more time. That's pretty good. One way to peace by the power of the cross. Now, you have to be careful when you do the cross thing, because here's what too many people do in their practical outpouring of this. There is one way to peace by the power of, I really hope this happens. I'm crossing my fingers and I really want that to happen for me. <laughs> life, life is short. Ask um, Susie if life is short. She said so long to a, a, 20, a 24 year old son yesterday. But we look at life and we say, oh, it's not short, it's long, it's 60, 70, 80, 90 years, 100 years, you know. Eternity is forever. I can't tell you how many people 
that I ask on a regular basis, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And you know what their response is? I hope so. I hope so. It's like, isn't that a little bit too important to just say hope? See, there is one way to the cross, by the, one way to peace, peace, <laughs> peace, peace, by the power of the cross. What that means is in my life, personally, and in your life, personally, there is one way to peace by the power of the cross. In my marriage, there is one way to peace by the power of the cross. In all of my relationships, in my family, there is one way to peace by the power of the cross. That's the only answer. And if you're counting on anything else, you're going to be disappointed. I want you to have peace with God so that you can experience the peace of God and that can spill out into all your other relationships and all the other stuff you're going through so no matter how difficult it might be, no matter how much it might hurt at the moment, you can experience the peace of God, which the Bible says passes all understanding. And there's only one way to peace, and that's the power of the cross. Let's pray. Father, I know that there's only one of two things that we can be here. And, and we can be um, in need of this peace. We can be helpless and homeless and hopeless and in need of it. Or we can be carriers of your peace. And my prayer is anybody here this morning who has felt that they've experienced that separation, that exclusion, they felt far away, that this morning would be the morning they realize it's not about what they do, it's not about a church they go to, that it's about a person, Jesus, who loves them so much he died to provide the way back to God, to reconcile them, to bring them home again together so that there would be wholeness and oneness. And that the only way to that is through the cross. Realizing that Jesus came, lived that life that was sinless, fulfilled the law, willingly gave it up on the cross, and died to pay for our sin. That it's by grace, but it's through faith. And that we say, Jesus, I believe God sent you, I believe you did that, and by faith I'm receiving that as my own. I believe that when you died on that cross, it was for me. And I ask you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Help me experience peace with God so that I can experience the peace of God. And Father, for those of us who have experienced that, stepped across that line in our lives, maybe even just today for the first time, my prayer would be that we would be the carriers of that peace, that it would spill over into our lives and relationships and spheres of influence. Thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song.